You're listening to Limitless Leaders Podcast. Accelerate your mindset, collaboration and performance by developing limitless self-leadership, leaders, teams and organizations. Now, over to your host, Renee Jerusso. Welcome to the Limitless Leaders Podcast. Super excited for today's guest and I'd love to welcome you back if you're a regular listener and if you're tuning in for the first time, welcome. As always, we love your feedback, guests you'd like us to interview and any hot topics you'd like us to expand on and explore, just contact us at podcast at renegerusso.com. So, Let's get into today's interview. And as I mentioned, I'm super excited to have founder and CEO of The Nudge Group, Steve Grace. Having successfully built and sold two profitable businesses from the ground up, Steve knows a thing or a thousand about what makes a business successful. Steve's new venture, The Nudge Group, was born from a genuine desire to help businesses grow from startups to unicorns. After months of research and testing different methodologies, Steve has developed a new and original recruitment model that gives early stage and rapid growth businesses direct access to top talent and specialist expertise without the traditional price tag. Steve is also the founder and the host of the Give It A Nudge podcast, talking to founders, CEOs and investors on his show. He enables them to tell their unique stories. The Nudge Group's mission is centred around your story, understanding it, showcasing it and finding talent aligned to it to achieve long-term goals for everyone. So super excited to have you here today, Steve. Thanks, Renee, and thank you so much for having me on. I'm very, very grateful. And also, gosh, that's possibly the longest intro I think I've ever had. <laughs> I think we're probably finished up with the show now. Everyone knows everything. We're done, right? We're finished? We have. So thank you for listening. No, don't go yet. <laughs> <laughs> so I'd love, um, I'd love to really kick off just with some quick trivia so our listeners can get to know you a little bit. And I always love you know, deep diving with our guests to find out, you know, the real you, the essence of you before we go into, you know, how you've got to what you're doing and and all that shapes around that. So I'd love to know, Steve, what is your favourite word? My favourite word? You know, when you mentioned this to me just a moment ago, it's one of the most difficult questions I think I've ever been asked. Awesome. Um, So firstly, I'm, I'm hugely dyslexic, so I had to pick one that was easy to spell because that's one of my biggest challenges ever. But I think it's probably energy. Um, I think that energy really, to me, it drives everything. And I, I love I love talking about energy. You know, it, whatever happens in the world is some sort of transfer of energy. So I don't think anything else encompasses our world more than energy. So that would definitely be my favourite word. I love that. And that's actually in my top two words. Energy. Is it really? Totally. I'm I'm known for my, my nickname's Popcorn, so I'm always energetic even when I'm tired and I think your energy, how you show up and the energy you project, I think really determines what happens next. I agree. Couldn't agree more, yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, look at that. Who'd have thought that would be in your top two words? That's got to be, there's got to be a slim chance of that. It is and, um, yeah, not, not, I didn't know that. So what sound or noise do you love? 
Now, this is a strange one. And actually, um, was it, when, you, when you mentioned it, I thought, oh, that's really easy for me. Um, I don't know if anyone's ever said this before because I haven't listened to every single one of your shows. But for me, my favorite noise is actually the noise of the wind. Mm. I love the sound of the wind. I, I, the couple of nights here ago in Sydney, we had this supercell that they kept saying, which, which really turned out to be a bit of a fizzer. But the sound of the wind, it got extremely strong. It was swirling around. I think there might have even been a tornado somewhere in regional New South Wales. But that sound of the wind is, is particularly when I'm inside, I love it. I don't know why. I think that you can almost, you can hear the power, I think. That's probably one of the, one of the reasons. Beautiful. I love that. I absolutely love that. And, um, yeah, that that wind of cyclone that you had the other week, we're in the middle of, I was on someone else's podcast and the whole thing cut out. They were affected. Oh, wow. Everywhere. Oh. Yeah, yeah, I just thought, bizarre. No, there was no rain, though. It was just wind. The rain never came. It didn't rain at all. Everyone was like, it's wow. going to rain. It's going to be the end of the world. It was just very windy, no rain, very strange. Yeah, it has been a strange year. We had the earthquake in um, Melbourne it's town. Really, I was opening up a workshop when the earthquake happened and everyone was in Sydney on the workshop so they didn't feel it and I thought, oh, I'm tired. Is it me? Am I going to faint? And then the whole house, it felt like it went for 10 minutes. So wow. I said it was an earth-shattering start to the session. <laughs> <laughs> so big passion of mine is food because I think food is the time machine to our memories. I think food's a big connector. And I think I'm, I'm half Italian, so food's a big part of my heritage. Mm -hmm. Really interested. If you had your last meal, your last supper, what what would it what would it be? I'm not sure they actually go very well together because I'm going to give you a, a savoury <laughs> and a sweet, right? But um, my my food has changed a lot. When I moved here from Australia, I wouldn't have ever said this because you don't need a lot of this in the UK. You didn't when I was growing up. But I moved here, what, 22 years ago. And over that time, seafood has, without question, become my favourite food, which it certainly wasn't in, in England because mm. seafood in England at that time was, was not great. Um, and I think it, it wouldn't be a specific one. It would, it would essentially be a, a platter. So it would have the prawns on there, it would have the mussels on there, it would have the oysters on there, it would have a bug on there, it would have a lobster on there, it would have the complete package. So that would definitely be the, the, the sort of savoury side. And then I, there's a dessert that I just am completely in love with. And like I said, I don't really don't think they go well together. And that's creme brulee. And uh, oh, I just uh -huh. love that. I know it's a sugar hit. And beautiful. I don't know that for your last supper, but it's such a beautiful dessert when done right. <laughs> yeah, yeah, definitely. And I love the whole platter. The platter's mine as well because you get that choice. So well, we should we should go out for lunch and talk about energy then. I think energy, energy, and planets. <laughs> it's a shame you're in Melbourne and I'm in Sydney, but hey, yeah, I know enough, enough about Melbourne. So yeah, we could call it the energetic platter episode. No, <laughs> <laughs> it was earth shattering, right? Oh gosh. So if you you you've got an amazing um, business and initiative and cause, which I can't wait to delve into. But other than this, the profession you're in now. What's another profession you'd like to attempt? Uh, this is going to sound quite bizarre, I think, but I always wanted to be one of those guys, I don't know what they're technically called, but they jump off of helicopters and rescue people out of the water. Um, I think that's what, that would be it. Is that a rescue diver, I think? It's something like that. Yeah. I think that. I don't know why that appeals to me. I know it's dangerous, it's cold, it's miserable, it's never a nice day when you go out on those choppers, right? It's never sunny. Mm -hmm. But that has always massively appealed to me. 
Um, it's really strange. Yeah, wow. <laughs> Must be. Is it the the adrenaline, the the being in service combination of being outside? I think it's. I think it's the. I have a massive love of the ocean, and I think mm. it's the adrenaline. Um, I, I there was when I was a child, I really wanted to be a helicopter pilot. Yeah. Um, one of the one of the sports that I've taken up recently is kite surfing, and, and I'm thinking ah. about that, you know, the the sound of the wind. Yeah. And I started kite surfing because I wanted to do something that terrified me slightly. Because I find if you do things that terrifies you slightly, you tend to feel alive, and everything else yeah. feels easy. Yeah. So maybe it's a combination of those things. I'm not sure. I love that. I love that. And I agree. I think some of the things getting out of your comfort zone is when you feel alive. I think it's it's taking those risks and doing something different. And I think then that creates an expect benchmark or that what I call that next normal. Well, you know, I think if you go, I know that when I first tried kite surfing for the first time, I was so terrified and I'm still terrified now. Mm-hmm. But when I come back from that and I've got a hard thing to do at work, that does not seem hard anymore. That, and I think that's, that's yeah. why I've always tried to keep things like that happening in my life. <laughs> it, it helps, yeah, put, th- put things into perspective. Absolutely. Well, I, I, I love it. So now we know a little bit about you. I, and, you know, interesting, you've come to Australia from the UK 22 years ago. Um, I'd really, really love to ask you how you've got, just, just a bit about your journey, how you've got to where you are today and how you've become you and how you're continually becoming you. Because I think, as we all know, and everyone listening, I'm a big believer in we all need to learn unlearn, relearn and evolve continually. Yeah, I couldn't agree more. Okay, it's um, in, in how I became me, there was probably a pivotal moment that changed me from a very shy child, which I was, um, into not being a shy child anymore. Mm. And I started to play tennis when I was about 16. Um, and then I started to learn how to coach tennis. And for some reason, and I never got particularly good at tennis, but um, but for some reason that process it brought out my natural personality. I really don't know why. And I I had an opportunity to go to university and do marine biology, and I had an opportunity to go and learn how to be a tennis coach and go on on a sort of year of playing around Europe. And I chose tennis. And wow. during that year, well, no, much to my parents, they were they were horrified. I think, but because um, they'd spent a fortune on schools, but. <laughs> My, that's when I became me, I think. That's probably the, that was probably the moment. I think that changed my personality in completely. Um, and it was my first time living away from home, completely different environment, completely different day, you know, hitting a ball around all day rather than studying or whatever. So that, that fundamentally changed me. Um, from there, I think I've just evolved rather than changed, I guess. And, and I think that's come with someone of my vintage as that happens as you go later in life. Um, but to how I got to where I am, Look, I think I had a very interesting childhood in that my father was a very, uh, very highly sought after dentist, as were a lot of my ancestors. And he ended up having children at private schools. He had a nice house. He had his own business. And through medical reasons, he couldn't practice anymore. And he didn't know how to do anything else. And I watched him in my early teens and late teens go through a variety of different processes to make ends meet and keep us living in the way that we did. And he started a business um importing rap music and my father does not like rap music and never did he was one of the first people to import it he did financial planning he was one of the first people to write books about computer programming he set up his own businesses countless different ones and i think that's where my sort of entrepreneurship came Mm -hmm. and he pumped me full of positive thinking books at that at that age 
So I think watching him go through that meant that I always felt that that was where I was going to end up running my own business. I just didn't know in what. Yeah. Um, I started out in finance. I'm terrible with numbers, as anyone knows me tell. So that was a terrible idea. Didn't last very long in finance. Went into a recruitment agency to find a job and they offered me one there. And I thought, well, you know, I'm here. Why not? Why not? And yeah. I literally started the, ne the next day. And I, I'm very much a social person. Um, I'm very much people, people. I find people fascinating. I really do. I'm genuinely interested in hearing people's stories. And I wouldn't have articulated it that well then, but I think that's that's what it was. And and I really enjoyed it. And I enjoyed the sales aspect of it. And, uh, and my sort of career pump, pumped up from there. Um, in 99, I was bored of London. I don't know if you've ever spent a long time in London, but it's not an overly healthy lifestyle. I wasn't feeling uh, particularly healthy at 25. So I thought I'll go to Australia. I've never been, but it looks warm. I'm a big heat person. I'm a solar powered human being. <laughs> I like the sun. I like to be outside. I like the ocean. None of these things you do in England and certainly not in London. So I moved here and joined an agency here and uh, pretty much continued through a couple of the larger agencies here until I got my residency. And like all good recruiters, the day I got my residency, I left and set up my own business. Yeah. Um, so that, and then I've had three businesses since then, which takes me to where I am now. Is that sort of, is that where you are? Do you yeah, want me to go into yeah. depth or is that enough of a synopsis? I don't want to talk all day. <laughs> no, no, I, I love that. And I think it's, it's, it's good for the myself and the listeners to get a bit of background because I, I'm a big believer everything you go through leads you to the next thing and you wouldn't Absolutely. probably be doing what you're doing if you hadn't had had those sort of lessons along the way. And I think I really resonate with the whole tennis piece. I, I was about to go to uni and decided to go and be a camp counsellor and dance teacher in the US for a year. Yeah. Same sort of thing. And I called that, um, and even in my new book, Gift Mindset, my first gift, the gift of growth was then. Yes. So 20 years old in a foreign country, living with host families, teaching 30 kids how to do the Macarena in Connecticut, <laughs> um, and then backpacking across the US almost most of the time on my own, um, that that really built something in me, like sounds like you a bit, this light switch just turned on, this surge that just I've never stopped since, you know, and yeah. I think that and your dad as well, being an entrepreneur, another similarity we've both got, and I think it is in your genes, entrepreneurship. I really do. A lot of people we, we we speak to and deal with, even some in the corporate world recently with the pandemic that are shifting to, to doing something, you know, a side hustle or something on their own, yeah. have most of them that I'm speaking to have got one or both parents that were entrepreneurs. So it's there's definitely something in there. So I think um, you're right. I think, you know, when you've seen someone go through it, even if you don't see it all, yeah, you kind of have a better a better view of the, the ups and downs, right? But I think more so you probably have a belief that it's possible. I think if you've never seen anyone close to you go through it, yeah. then it's quite hard to imagine, well, I'm guessing these people tell me it's quite hard to imagine that you can actually mm. do that. Um, yeah, I agree. I, I think we might be similar ages. I was just doing the numbers then. And <laughs> our parents are probably similar ages. And I, I think something, you've hit the nail on the head there, it shows what's possible, but it's also, I think your dad and my dad was in the six, 70s that they were doing this. And now with technology, there's so much more accessibility, the tools are there, 
it's such an exciting time. It's yeah, it's. I mean, even in the twenty years I've now, I worked there exactly. They haven't actually worked for anyone for twenty years, which is quite exciting. Mm-hmm. But even in that time, it gosh, it's completely changed. Everything's changed. Oh, it 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 has. It, it is totally different, but it's an exciting time. I'd love to ask you: Is there sort of a standout leader in your journey of growth? Who's you know, if you're happy to talk about them it could be a virtual leader and and why why they they're a bit of a standout for you so unfortunately i've never had a mentor Mm. um and i've never had a manager that has stood out for me i've had good managers all the way i haven't had many bad ones so you know to anyone who i've ever worked for don't don't worry i've ever had great experiences (laughs) it hasn't been a standout i think the standout leader is someone that i probably discovered over a period of time and have met a couple of times as well. And he's written a number of books and it's probably Mark Burris, uh, um, yep. of Wizard Home Loans and Yellow Brick Road and yep. so forth. And the reason why I think is, and I've heard him speak and I've read his mm-hmm. books and he writes his books in very much the way he speaks. And, I've, and like I said, I've had the, the, the luck of actually meeting him a couple of times. He doesn't change. He's always the same. He's very consistent. Yeah. He's very brutal. He's very much himself. He doesn't dress in a particular way to appease people, but he doesn't dress in a particular way to cause reactions either. He's very respectful at the same time. He's got that beautiful balance of people want to listen to what he's got to say, even if they don't like what he's got to say. Yeah. He presents himself in a way that's himself, but is also respectful to the audience that he's doing. You know, those are the kind of things that I think so many people get wrong. And he does it just yeah. naturally. He just really does it naturally. And he does have a greater good behind his thinking. Yes, of course, he's thinking about profit. Yes, he's thinking about his own his own earnings and so forth. And, and obviously, he's done extremely well. Um, but he's happy with what he did wrong. And I think overall, what he's trying to strive for is good for everyone. And yeah. you know, I think that's that's not that common. I've learned <laughs> over the years. No, it's not. And I, I love that. I think it's um, he's very consistent and he's real, he's raw, yeah. but he doesn't go on about that fact. He just lives and breathes no. it. It's not That's cool. it. Some people, some people go on too much about how real they are, which yeah. in itself is the most ridiculous statement. But, yeah, yeah I would agree with you. I think you've articulated that well. And I think he's someone I really admire as well, and I think he encapsulates something that, that I'm very fond of with any leader or any person and that's our concept around the gift mindset is learn from your lessons, good or bad, and share them and be vulnerable to share your mistakes and help people move beyond that. And that's what he's doing. And, and I think it's awesome. Is there a leader, you don't have to name names on the flip side, I call these leaders Chris Kringles, right? So you, you, want, you want aftershave for your Chris Kringle and you get a pair of cat socks, right? So... <laughs> We, I always say, I, I had a leader, um, Steve, many years ago that was a standout, Chris Kringle, and I, when I went into more senior roles, I really, I basically sat there and I, I've always been into self-growth and I went, what did he do? And I'm going to do the opposite. So he was one of the biggest gifts yep. that, that led me on my coaching journey to be, yep. to be straight. So I think sometimes the, the you know, the hardest, situations and people in our lives can teach us the best things is there somebody and why that there is um and it's someone that i worked with for a while actually that i knew for a long time um and i think i was blindsided to it for a little part of that um and i think the reason 
is the complete inability to see any failings in themselves. Yeah. Um, the probably the most upsetting part for me, and it's something that I hadn't necessarily noticed because it was never directed necessarily directly at me, was the way they treated other people and, and the utter content. And it wasn't it wasn't a show. I think part of it was driven by a lack of um, self-confidence and a, a doubt yeah. in themselves and all those kinds of things, almost like a bully to some degree, you know. And, and I think it took me a while, but I've learned more from that person probably than anybody else, ironically, um, even yeah. though when I think back to some things, it's just horrific, really. Um, so I agree. I think those people teach you more than anybody else. They certainly teach you more than the good ones, which is which is interesting. You don't necessarily recognise these things at the time, and it sometimes Hi. takes quite a few years after to really recognise those things. But, yeah, and there's, there's certainly been other ones, but there, there is definitely one that stands out, and I'm sure anyone who's listening who knows me will know who that is as well. But, <laughs> I love um, it. Yeah, it's it, it's an interesting, and I certainly would never name names, but it, it it is interesting how much you can learn from from that. Yeah, def, definitely, and I think um, you know I might well be there, Chris Kringle too. By the way, who knows? Yeah, well, I that's, probably that's, am. Yeah, well, <laughs> it's it's not a bad thing. I I think you're right. You can't always see things when they're right under your nose. Like I call them present gifts, but past or hidden gifts are the ones we need to look back on. And really, I say, create an awareness around whatever the event was and accept it so it becomes an experience that can help progress you and others forward. Yeah. And I think that's definitely it. And for the listeners out there, if you haven't had a Kris Kringle, you will. (laughs) (laughs) You might even have it now and you don't realise, right? That could be happening to you right now. That's that's right. So um, we... We, we talk a lot about limitless leaders, so leaders that learn, unlearn and constantly evolve, um, create future leaders, empower others so they can do the things that matter. And I'd love just to get your take on what leadership means to you, Steve. Yeah, it's a question I get asked a lot. Um, and as you know, you know, we work in the startup and scale-up space, so yeah. I spend an enormous amount of time with founders right, who are obviously leaders in different forms. I think for me, leadership's probably been, I think there is a natural element to leadership. Now, that certainly doesn't mean you can't learn it because I don't believe that either, but I think some people are, are more attuned to it than others. Definitely. Um, and everyone always talks about the difference between leadership and management, and that's very true. I don't believe I'm a particularly strong manager. Um, but as a leader, you make a lot of mistakes. I made a cracking one a couple of weeks ago, so it doesn't seem to matter how long you, you do. You see, you do make mistakes. Um, I think leadership is really about looking at what's required at the time to get you, your team, your clients, your family, whoever it is, to where they want to go. And it completely evolves and changes. And in the world we're in at the moment, even more so than perhaps it ever has. And you have to be willing to change on a heartbeat to deal with the situation that's there. That's what I think it means to me. It's the ability to change and recognise when you need to change really quickly. And then the ability to actually take action. Um, Now, whether that action is right or wrong is always debatable, but the fact that you're taking action, that to me is what I think leadership actually is. Is that? that, Yeah, Yeah, I love, look, I love that. I always say leadership's in the eye of the beholder, right? And I think that, you know, it's, it's to me, to me, I think the future of leadership, you've summed it up. It's all about, I think, adaptability, innovation, and collaboration. And they're all interlinked, right? 
Yeah, they are. And I think it's also the, you need to be the first one to take action. You know, that's, that's the key. Finally. There's a lot of leaders who don't take action. And, and that you, leadership, if you don't take action, that's not leadership. That's just yeah. an, it's an ideas person. That's not what you need. That's right. And look, it's great to think ahead, but I think it's taking massive action. And a client many years ago, we were talking about the difference between, you know, management's more operational, leadership's more on strategy, et cetera. Yeah. I think you need both. But he came up with a great um, little analogy, which I love. He said to me, you know what, Renee? Leadership is like Batman and management's like Robin. You can't have one without the other. And That's I love awesome. it. We've created a model around that. I like, I really like that analogy. I've never heard that analogy. And I've heard a lot no. of analogies. No, and no, I've read no. a lot of books, but I've never heard that one. And I think it's without question my favourite. I think that's great. Yeah, it's pretty cool. And then I, and then I always go, so who's Alfred, you know? But um, <laughs> it's, it's, it is, and it's, it's, it's thinking ahead. And, you know, I always say, you know, a lot of leaders get caught up in the management side because they're not delegating. They're not doing the things that really matter. Yeah. So, you know, it, getting people to take that self-leadership, which is sort of what you're talking about. I think you have to be a leader of self and a leader of decisions before you can be a leader of others. Yeah. Yeah. No, I think you're yeah. right. Yeah. So, you know, businesses, life, we have challenges. I call, I call them gifts, good or bad. I mean, a lot of successes we have to go through challenges to achieve. I'd really love to ask you what's a key challenge in your career that you believe has not hindered but helped you to get to where you are today and what's the key lesson there the key challenge in my career that has helped me get to so one isn't it frustrating that we have to go through challenges to grow it seems very unfair um <laughs> <laughs> i do i do remember saying you know when do we stop learning when when do we just get yeah. good and unfortunately i don't i don't think that day comes um which is really you know, frustrating. But I think there's a, there's a number of key ones and they've, they've usually been around. Um, for me, I'm not a, what's the right way of putting this? It's not that I'm not thoughtful, but, um, you know, we talked about taking action. I sometimes yeah. take action way too quickly. Um, in yeah. fact, in younger years, as is often the case, nearly all the time. And then having to deal with the, the consequences and getting very frustrated with myself and then doing that thing again, you know, everyone always says it's great to make mistakes, just don't make them twice. Well, I've mm -hmm. managed to make quite a few mistakes three or four times before it's hit me. So mm -hmm. I think my biggest challenge has been to just slow down. Um, and I have a natural sense of urgency with everything, which has yeah. definitely helped me. But there are certain things where that sense of urgency has definitely hindered me. So I've had to learn to temper and control that. Yeah. Still getting there. Um, yeah. And that's probably been the hardest thing for me as an overall. I mean, there's been plenty of challenges from a market perspective. You know, we've had the global country crisis, we've yeah. had the bomb boom, we've had the pandemic. You know, we're, we're throwing these out, out the window all the time. Mm. Um, and I think I've also made some some bad mistakes around friendships and things like that. So, yeah, yeah I think it's that as a, as a recruiter, most recruiters are natural people pleasers. Yeah. And I think you have to be, right? You, that's the kind of trait. You need a lot of empathy. You need to be a people because you need to want to make people happy. Relationships, it's yeah. It's a big yeah. part of the job. But at the same time, people pleasing can get you in a lot of trouble. So, yeah, yeah it, it's really taking those things that you you know and understanding where your strengths are and accepting that and Love understanding it. where your weaknesses are and accepting that. Um, yeah. 
And that's a very difficult thing to do. And it's taken me many, many years. Yeah. And it's, look, it's something, and I, I think it's a bit of a, we do a bit of modeling on what motivates entrepreneurs. So, because so many people do what they're good at, but not what they're good at that they enjoy. And it can almost make you go into overdrive. I, bit similar, I, I say I have closure addiction. So <laughs> all my books I've written within 12 weeks. Wow. I don't like things not being done. And I think it comes back to something I say a lot is we've become human doings instead of human beings. And if you're an ideas person and you want to create and you're, you know, you're a creative, it's a natural, it's, it's, it's a gift, it's your genius, but it's also getting the balance there. Yeah. So any, any tips you could give our listeners on, because it's a common thing I see, I struggle with it myself. Any tips, one or two things you could do that, that you do that helps you sort of rein it in, I guess, and focus on what really matters? I think the one thing, the one skill that you have to learn, which I'm still, which I still struggle with, um, and I think it'll be, it'll have such a huge impact on your life, yep. is learning to take feedback the right way. Mm. I never have. And I'm still, like I said, I still struggle with it. And I still react instantly and I have to control myself and, and it takes me a while to think about it. And I think the more you can learn to take feedback, one, the more you'll get because yeah. people will feel comfortable with it. And then the more you can adjust and improve. And, you know, I probably do it effectively two times out of 10, which is really bad. And I see those two times out of 10, the effect, and it's really positive. And I still struggle to get it any higher than two. So it, look, if, if I could have done that more in my career, I think I could have achieved a hell of a lot more by now than I currently have. So that from my perspective, in terms of my what I know, that would be one thing I would say. Yeah, feedback's, you know, feedback's growth. You know, what's the old saying? No such thing as failure, only feedback. And I, I think something that can help with that too um, for those listening is one, one of our models is all around not better. I always say be different, not better. Um, what could you change or do differently? Yeah. Opposed to what could I do better? And it helps even when you're giving or receiving feedback. It really opens up the space for people to get buy-in, I guess. And I think, you know, what, I, I, what I've learned is you actually get feedback from the most unusual places that you wouldn't yeah. necessarily think. And I think that's why you have to be more open to it. I have yeah. learned most of the stuff I've learned by doing things wrong myself. Yeah. And if I'd listened to people more, I would have learned a lot more a lot quicker. Yeah. Um, and I think the best feedback comes often at the most unusual times from the most unusual places. That's right. People will often dismiss that yeah. and then realise two years later. And that's, oh. you know, that's two years wasted, right? So I think it's always having that, you know, you talk about a growth mindset, I guess it's part of that. It's being mm -hmm. open-minded and willing to, to listen yeah. to things that you're not expecting to hear. Yeah. Most yeah. people listen for what they're expecting to hear. That's right. And I think a lot of us, and it comes up, you know, when you get flat out, it's, you know, sometimes people, I think, connect to be, uh, communicate to be heard, they don't communicate to connect. Correct. And I think the people that give feedback that communicate it in the right way to connect to make a difference, you have more respect for, so you're more receptive. Um, I think it's quite hard to give feedback. You have to be quite brave to give someone feedback. So yeah. many people, and the trouble is, so many people dismiss people that give feedback that people stop giving it, and that's that's, that's one right. of the, that that cycle gets cut. That circle of, of of learning gets cut. It does. I always say, don't give feedback the way you like it. So if you're someone that doesn't like feedback, even if it's positive, chances are, and we see this a lot with very senior leaders, they don't give feedback to anyone. 
So finding out those around you, how they like to receive it, is it public or private and is it often or not often? Yeah. Um, and don't dismiss people because some people don't like feedback because they've been hit with a stick, right? So I'm a, I'm a big, big believer if you want to get feedback in an open forum or give feedback to someone that doesn't like it, I always say, you know, hey, that was awesome, Steve, you know, to serve the room, can you share how you did that? And then it doesn't make it about Steve. It makes it about being in service to the room. Yeah. And help. You obviously do a lot in the recruitment space, which which I've done a bit mm. into and I love and I know we have a lot of, um, hum, you know, people in performance and recruitment people listening to this. What are, what are some, tr- I'd probably understand a little bit about what you do in that space and then I guess um, what trends have you seen emerging in recruitment since the pandemic? Okay, that's there are two very different topics. Yep. I'll touch on the first one quickly yep. because you know I had a couple of different businesses and most of my career was spent recruiting for governments, for corporates, um, for large, small to medium enterprises. And uh, that kind of recruitment has changed, but is also very different to what I do now. And you know, we set Nudge up because we specifically wanted to target those startup and scale-up founders who don't have HR skills or recruitment skills, and we don't know what they're doing, and we're not serviced well by the recruitment industry. So, you know, that's that's been a very different. Um, it's it's almost more of a consulting role than it is a recruitment. There's the recruitment aspect is still part of it, but there's a lot of consulting and mentoring and helping them understand how to recruit. Um, yeah, yeah. But I think there's been some very very clear trends to me yeah, since the pandemic and, and the conversations we are having with candidates now are totally different to what they were having two years ago. So, you know, two years ago, you would be talking about opportunities to learn, opportunities for them to educate, about how, they're going to, how this role is going to help them get to their next role. And it would also usually be about money. Um, and it would be about, you know, what, what are the benefits around the office and that kind of stuff. Now, the two most common things, in fact, two not, not the most common things, the two things that are always present in every conversation. The first is, what's the working from home policy? <laughs> and I think this is a very difficult one for people to get right. Yeah. And I think what I've learned over the last two years of having this conversation with people is, there are some people who want to come to the office every day and then some people who want to be remote every day. But probably that's 10% either side. 80% of the population don't want to be fully remote and they don't want to be in the office all day. So you've got all these companies, particularly the larger ones, who tend to create policies more so than perhaps a lot of our clients, although we have some very large scale-ups, but they're creating policies about what that is. You know, you come in Monday, Wednesday, Thursday, you work in this week, the other department works in that week, or this department comes in on this day. People don't want that either. What people want, and I think it maybe it's driven by lockdown and, and being so much so sort of controlled for the last two years, people don't want to be told what to do. Oh, they want to right. know that if they want to come in, they can come in. And if they yes. don't want to come in, they don't have to come in. Yeah. And they don't necessarily need to book ahead or plan ahead or do anything like that. They just need to um, be able to have free choice. That's pretty much it. That's, that's I think, what people want. Um, that's probably been the... Um, the major the major change yeah the other thing that i think people are looking for now and this is less again about um uh, i guess learning or the next role it's more about the um it's more about um what can i what can i get in terms of impact Mm. people want to have a role um where they can have an impact yeah that's the number one thing 
Um, we're saying, we're saying that a lot. They want to be in purpose-led organisations that are making a difference. They do, and it's not, it's not okay, we want to work for charity or we want to work no. for non-for-profit. It's I want to work in a business where I can see what I do has an impact either on the business or our customers. I can see the results of it. And yes. I think if you're working in a really large corporate, like a lot of your audience might be, and that's a, a bank or it's an insurance company or it's a supermarket or it's Qantas or all those kind of things. If you're not in a frontline role, it's very, very difficult for you to see what impact you're having. Yeah. And so somehow, you know, it's easier for our clients that are smaller and startups and growing, it's much easier. But I think somehow these larger organisations have got to find a way to make people feel like what they're doing matters and, and what impact it yeah. either has on the end customer or on the business. Because that's, I think that's a sense of COVID has created people wanting to achieve something rather than just yeah. going to work to get to the next role or pay the pay pack. Mm -hmm. and, and that everybody's asking that question really, really early on in, in the conversation now. Fascinating. And that is just amazing. On, on your first point around, you know, being told what to do, we all know we hate getting told as a child, let alone an adult. And I think with COVID and having so many things out of our control, going, hey, you can come back to the office, but I, I, think, I think leaders need to give the what but not the how. I always say Australia is a what economy, a bit more of this is what it is, this is the expectation, but you have that that freedom to choose. In, re in regards to that second point, that's, we could talk about that all day. I, I, that's amazing because contributions are core human need and it's something we've just done a recent survey across our clients that's come up as the biggest need in their next role is contribution. Yeah. So you're right, it doesn't mean they need to go and work for a charity, but but companies where they get to see the impact, you know, whether it's locally or globally, I think is really important. Well, you know what it is? It's very good for Australian yeah. businesses because yeah. it's much easier to see your impact if you're working for an Australian business than if you're working for a, a US or, or really a European or any, any global company. Yeah. It, you know, Australia is always going to be a small a part of a global company. It's very yeah. difficult to see what impact you're going to have. So even the, those global companies need to find ways of letting their employees feel that as well. And if they, if they can't do that, they will lose. They will lose employees. And I think there's one there's, there's this push to go towards the, you know, we've seen it. There's a lot of people wanting to come out of corporate and go and work in the startup and scale up space. Now, the startup scale up space is not for a lot of people, right? No. And I, I don't think, I don't think people realise how much is involved. They don't. And there are courses and stuff you can do now, which I find quite fascinating, but I think most people don't. But the reason they're doing that isn't because they want to go and work for a startup. It's because they can see they can have an impact, and that's the only yeah. reason. So if the corporates can do enough to create that environment for them, then yeah. they'll not just retain them, they'll attract others, and they'll attract really high performers, I think. And then get build that culture around that, which is yeah. which is amazing. Oh, that's yeah. It's such a, such a great a great insight, and so many so many gems there. Just on our last question, because unfortunately we've got to we've got to bring it in. You know, Perfect. being a limitless leader in anything you do, and I can see your and feel your energy, Steve, which is awesome. We need to get balance in our lives, and we, we need to you know the gift of re-energizing is a big thing that we do work on. What, what do you focus on for you to keep yourself energised? So I've discovered something new. Um, it was driven by this last lockdown. 
I've always been a big believer of, of exercise. So for me, I've always done exercise in some form or, or other. Um, and I've had some great personal trainers. And as I told you, I've, I try kite surfing and things like that. Yeah. Um, but one of the things that I've discovered this lockdown is I live quite close to the harbour. So I have the luxury, which I know a lot of people don't, and I'm very grateful for it, but I have the luxury of being able to go down and swim in the harbour oh. at any time in the afternoon. Yeah. And there's a number of people that I know that live near me, and we've started to do this every day. And we're not talking long, we're talking 25 minutes swim, right? Amazing, yeah. And doing that every day, getting in that water, particularly when it was colder in winter, it's warming up now, thank God, um, yeah. has really, um, it, it, it's, far more impactful than any coffee I can tell you I tend to do it about three o'clock and yeah. the energy the, the the feeling of I don't makes you feel incredibly alive and yeah. it really invigorates every part of your body and you wait you come out of that and for the next couple of hours you're feeling amazing so something like that is very good I had a difficult time in my life and I did quite a lot of meditation I went and learned how to meditate in a very simple form, I skipped all the complicated stuff. I found a teacher who just taught a real basic form, and I did that for a while. I found that very good as well. So I think those are very important. And the last thing that I've learned that I'm still trying to get better at, again, another thing I'm still trying to get better at, is sleep. Um, and I've, I, have a, I have a tracker on me. It's called a Whoop Band that, that tracks my sleep amongst a lot of other, a lot of other stats and read books like why we sleep and understand how powerful sleep is and yeah. you know sleep is more impactful than any vitamins or supplements or and it helped you know if you're if you're into your fitness and you want to build muscle it's more anabolic than any of the protein powders you could take i don't think the world understands the power of it yeah. and i know i didn't and i know i used to have way too little of it i still have little of it i'm better and i'm trying to get better all the time but i think if more people could work on that alone okay. as one single thing which really doesn't take a lot of effort um they'll see a really really drastic difference in what they can achieve absolutely love love that and i think yes yeah, sleep it's finally being sort of unwrapped how important it is and the swimming at three o'clock is interesting because that's a time when a lot of your cortisol levels go down so when so you have a biscuit right or a chocolate or a, or a coffee. yeah, it's, yeah it's, it's all you, you have something that's not great for you usually yeah it is it's when yeah. you, you hit that natural lull and i think you've hit the nail on the head those things and energy which we've talked about a bit i always when people come to me and say how do i manage my time i'm like get rid of that just manage your energy yeah it's about managing your energy and i love that the meditation and look meditation's not for everyone I've tried it. I've tried it. Not. I'm not a still person. I'm a. Yeah, I don't do it a lot now. I'm not either, and I don't no. do it a lot now. But I, I did find it a particular period. It was incredibly Fine. useful. Yeah. So I think yeah. you know, like like you said, things come and go. Whether I yeah. swim every day for the rest of my life, I don't know. I would like to think I would, but who who knows? We'll see. Have a swim. Have a swim for me today. I but don't then, worry. It's beautiful today, so I will for sure. And, and meditation too, I think, is is different for everyone. You know, for me, it's cooking. I cook every night steve doesn't matter what time sri lankan's my go-to wow um and no recipes and i don't do sweets because i don't eat sweets so i i and i don't like process so i've worked out that's why i just cook by taste yeah um, that's my people laugh at me but I, i'd rather that than watch tv look it has been amazing having you here today i just want to say thank you so much for your time i know you've got lots on so i really appreciate you being here today awesome. thank you so much for having me and i'd love to just if you can just share with our listeners how they can find you 
So look, the, the quickest way is probably to go onto our website, thenudgegroup.com. Um, but if you uh, if you can't find that, then obviously I'm on LinkedIn like, like the rest of the world, particularly as a recruiter. Um, you can always find me on, on LinkedIn. But um, yeah, either way, I think if you actually go onto our, we just launched a new website um, for thenudgegroup.com. And, and I think you can actually book into my calendar if you want to talk to me automatically. So that might that's probably the easiest way to get me without even awesome. trying. Yeah, awesome. <laughs> thank, thank, thanks so much, Steve. And Thanks to everyone out there listening. Um, just, just some really, really quick updates. November the 16th, we have got our last virtual bike for the year, which is a 90-minute team connection through emotional intelligence and, and includes a diagnostic, which is exciting. And we also have our Supercharged Working Remotely Online Academy, um, and we've opened up the first two modules for free. So feel free to jump on those, renegeruso.com and giftmindset.com if you've been reading the book and would like to reach out and um, access lots of free resources there. So thanks again. Enjoy your day, night, wherever you are. Stay safe and thanks for listening. You've been listening to Limitless Leaders Podcast, leading from the inside out to develop limitless self-leadership, leaders, teams and organisations. To find out how you can accelerate your mindset, your communication, collaboration and connection to become a limitless leader, sign up for our Limitless Leaders Podcast Series at www.renegerusso.com forward slash podcast series. That's renegerusso.com forward slash podcast series.